You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. And to be able to share with us what hope really is. To be able to know the hope that God promises us on this most special day. God wants us to know that he will put the pieces of our life together. And as you come here today, maybe some of you feel like there's some pieces of your life missing, like the title of today's message, The Hope of Life. Maybe you feel like you're missing some hope in your life. Or maybe some of you are feeling like you're missing life. Like, what's going on here? I don't get it. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know if my life counts. There's so many pieces in life that we might be missing. God wants us to know that he will put all the puzzle pieces together. Um, Have you ever tried to put together a puzzle, like a 500-piece or maybe even a 1,000-piece puzzle? You get to the very end, and you're missing a piece or two. Oh, isn't that terrible? It's like, it's so frustrating. It's so hard. But God wants us to know that he has all the pieces, and that he can help us put it together. Now imagine if you knew beforehand that pieces in the box were missing. Would you even bother to put the puzzle together? Now, I know I wouldn't because there'd be no hope of putting the right pieces together to fulfill the whole picture. But if I know that all the picture is going to be fulfilled, as long as I persevere and I keep trying to put that puzzle together, then God will help us. And we will be able to receive the things God wants us to receive. And so God wants us to have hope. He wants us to know that there is hope in Jesus, but we have to have all the puzzle pieces together. Now, the word that God would have us to know today is truth, is truth. We're going to talk about truth today. But we're also going to talk about other things that make truth meaningful and put it all together. Now, the disciples, as we read in Luke chapter 24, if you would open up your Bibles, or if you have, uh, you're using your phone, would you please be sure to put it in silent mode, and then go to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. And you can follow along. Now, what's happened already is it's Easter morning. It's the first Easter morning. And Jesus has risen from the dead. The angels were there at the empty tomb. Mary and other women had gone to the tomb. They'd gone there. The tomb was open. They saw the angels. They didn't know what happened. They ran back to go and get the disciples. Some of the disciples ran to the tomb. And then they were hearing that they also had noticed that the tomb was empty. Okay, so all that has happened, and now we're going to read about these two men that are on this road, and they're thinking about what they've just heard, about Mary finding the tomb empty and the disciples finding the tomb empty. Starting in verse 13. Now that very same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, 
Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the, two te- and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, as we go through this passage one of the things that we notice is that these two disciples had all of the facts right. They had all of the facts right. The problem was they didn't have the truth. They had all the facts. They knew indeed that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. They knew indeed that Mary and the other women had gone there and found that the tomb was empty. They even knew that their very own dear friends, whom I'm sure they trusted very much, had also run to the tomb and found the tomb empty. They had all of the facts correct. And yet, they didn't know the truth yet. They didn't know the truth. And if we have facts, but we don't know the truth, then we won't have hope. If we have all of the facts but we don't have truth, we won't have hope. Now, there's a difference between fact and truth. In fact, the word fact comes from a Latin word, factum, and all it means is a thing done. A thing done. It's an isolated fact. It's like one piece of a puzzle. It's a fragment. But truth is about meaning. Truth is about bringing everything together. Truth takes all of the facts together once they're all complete and discerns what's real. Now, in a courtroom, there's attorneys on both sides. And each of them have all of the facts. Both sides have equal access to all the facts. But the job of the judge and the job of the jury is to discern what the truth is. There can only be one truth. There's lots and lots of facts, but there can only be one truth. Now, the facts that we are talking about here in this passage is that Jesus had died. The disciples said that, that Jesus had died. They were discussing with each other these things. They knew that Jesus was dead. At least that's what they thought. But then... They were told that he was alive. Again, another fact. They were told that he was alive. But was it the truth? They were downcast. That too is a fact. In fact, that is because they didn't know yet the truth. And then Jesus comes up to them. And he talks to them. And he wants to know why they look so discouraged. And these disciples say, well, don't you know about Jesus Jesus was the talk of the town. He was the talk of Jerusalem. People were talking about this crucifixion. And now people were beginning to talk that he was alive. And they didn't know what to believe. And these disciples said he was a prophet. Now a prophet is someone who talks for God. And Jesus did indeed do that. But the word prophet isn't quite complete to describe Jesus. Because not only did he talk for God, he is God who talks to us. And so Jesus is not only a prophet, but he's Messiah, and they didn't know that. Jesus is not only a prophet, he is indeed the living Son of God, and they didn't know that. In fact, they were so uncertain that they had lost hope. 
And this is sort of the key here as we look at these first few verses in verse 21. But we had hoped. We were hoping. What caused their loss of hope? It was the death of Jesus. It was seeing him on Friday crucified. It was seeing the blood. It was seeing the cross. It was seeing the nails. And the death that Jesus died was a cruel and mean and violent death. There was no uncertainty as to him having passed away. Now, so had their, their hopes dashed. They no longer had an understanding of what God wanted. They were confused. They had been following Jesus. In fact, as they looked at the facts, it looked like Jesus had failed. And that's because they were looking simply at the facts. But they were missing a truth. They were missing the truth. They're missing the bigger picture. And the fact was that though he had suffered, they had missed the truth and they didn't understand that actually what the prophets had taught them was that the Messiah would suffer. That the Messiah was going to be a suffering servant. This was the problem of the theologians of their day. They expected the Messiah to come and to be a world conqueror, not a sin conqueror. They had expected Jesus to come and establish an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly kingdom. They had not expected suffering to be part of their Messiah's life. And I think as Christians, we too have that problem at times. We don't expect suffering to be part of the Christian life. We only expect God to always answer our prayers and to keep us from pain. And we want to have the best life on earth possible. We even wonder when, when life is so bad and when bad things happen to us, we can wonder, is God really good? If there is a God, if God is really good, why would he allow so much suffering? Maybe you've asked that question. I've asked that question to myself. Your friends have probably asked that question to yourself. If we watch the news, we certainly would ask that question of all the events in the world. If God is good, why is there so much suffering? Well, God's answer to us comes by the life of Jesus. It is not if God is good. It is because God is good. It is because God is good that he sent his son into the world, Jesus. Who suffered? the most violent of death. Who suffered so that you and I would not have to suffer eternally? God wants us to know that the life of the believer, that the truth that is found as we put together all the facts is that Jesus is talking about an eternal kingdom, that Jesus is calling us to a higher level of life, not to a life without pain, but a life that can deal with pain and trust in God and know the power of God, even as we know the power of a suffering servant. Elvet Lewis, who was a Welsh minister, says this, talking about the disciples here with Jesus. And he says, here we have an illustration of men who had hoped great things, and God had disappointed them. That was true of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had hoped great things, but now they were greatly disappointed. But we learn that God had disappointed them by making his fulfillment larger than their hope. 
They hoped too little. But we learn that God had disappointed them and us by making the fulfillment larger than their hope. In other words, the fulfillment of what God wanted to do in Jesus wasn't just to create an earthly kingdom, wasn't, wasn't just so that we have a nice life and then die, but rather that God would be, be victorious over death, that we would have a life that goes beyond the grave, that we would have strength through suffering, that we would have purpose in light of suffering, that there were larger mercies that God had for us than just to give us what we want. God wanted to give us more. He didn't want us to have just earthbound hopes. He didn't want us to just have little hopes. Mr. Lewis says this, little hopes make life little. Great hopes make life great. God wants us to have great hopes. Great hopes in a life that can overcome sin. Great hopes in a life that can bear with suffering just as Jesus bore with suffering and see God bring victory out of death, to see God bring victory out of suffering and pain, to see God do with the facts and make them better by his truth. Now, the truth is that Jesus knew why he died. And the fact is the disciples didn't know. But the truth is also that we can have the truth, and yet even that itself would not necessarily be enough. If we have truth without something else called trust, we will not have any hope. Look with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 21, the second part of verse 21. And there it says until verse 26, And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? The women had gone to the tomb. The disciples had gone to the tomb. The angels themselves were at the tomb. And all of them were saying that Jesus wasn't there anymore. Now, the angels had told them that Jesus was alive. That was the truth. But even then, they didn't yet believe it. They didn't trust in it. And Jesus understood their hearts. Jesus understood their minds. And so he rebukes them. And he says, how could you be so foolish? Now, when Jesus uses this word foolish, he's not reproaching them. He's not con with the contempt towards them. He's instructing them. This rebuke is to help them to learn something, but he wants them to learn in a very strong way. And so he uses a very strong word. And he says, you know, you should have known better. Now, he's not blaming them, not so much for not believing the women, and not even so much for not believing the angels or the other disciples. But he's scolding them because they didn't believe the testimony of the prophets. In other words, they didn't believe what they had read in the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament. Jesus had taught them the Old Testament. 
Jesus had taught them that he was going to suffer, and yet, though they had this truth, they didn't trust it. In Isaiah chapter 53, we have one of the many, many truths that Jesus would have taught his disciples, and yet they didn't understand this. They didn't put their trust in it, and yet this was 700 years before Jesus was born and was fulfilled in the Messiah's life. Let's read this out loud together, starting in verse 9. He was assigned... Whoops. Okay, there we go. Let's say it together. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus would have taught this to his disciples. They would have learned this, even from the Pharisees. They would have learned this from the law that they had, from the prophets, that Jesus was going to go to the grave, it says in verse 9, that he was going to die. In verse 10, that he was going to suffer. Why? Because his life would be a guilt offering. But then in verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, he would come back to life. And there would be the light of life. And in this, he would bring his salvation. He would justify Mary because he had borne their sins on the cross. And the disciples didn't understand that. They knew it. They knew the facts about it, but they didn't put their trust in it. And as we think about this, you go, well, you know, it doesn't exactly say that he's going to be crucified. It doesn't exactly say that he's going to be resurrected after being put into a cave. Okay, we can give them that much. But Jesus himself spoke the truth to them extremely clearly. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. After three days, he will rise. And so the disciples had heard Jesus himself tell him that, that he was going to suffer, that he would be betrayed, that he would die, that he would suffer, and that this was going to happen to him. They had the facts, but they didn't yet understand and have trust. They needed to trust in Jesus so that they could have this hope in their Savior it is hard to believe that through suffering there would be salvation. But the Bible was teaching that the very fact that Messiah would suffer, that suffering and resurrection would be the very sign that he was the Messiah. That suffering and rising again to the light of life would be the very proof that he was the Savior. And it would be because of this that they could put their hope in him. The word hope means to expect with confidence. It means to have faith. It means to trust. And so we can have the truth even as the disciples had. But if we don't have trust, we will have no hope. Well, that leads then to the obvious point then is that if we have trust with truth, then we will have true hope. If we have trust with truth, then we will have true hope. Hope is the joining 
It is the marriage. It is the unity. It is the bond of when we have the truth and we put our trust in it. And so Jesus is going to continue to build up his disciples in the truth so that he would have them understand a relationship with him so that they could put their trust in him. So in verse 27 we read, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus was going to give a little sermon here to these two disciples. And it says he's going to explain all of the scriptures Now, that might seem like a long time, but my guess is that Jesus picked out all of the pertinent scriptures from Genesis to the end of Malachi, so that they would be able to understand those particular scriptures. Maybe in Genesis, Jesus would have taught them from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, that even after Adam and Eve sinned, and God was punishing them, and God was disciplining them, but God said from the seed of of, um, Eve there would come an offspring that would step on the head of Satan. That was the beginning of the promise of the Messiah coming. Maybe Jesus went on into Exodus and explained the Passover lamb, that when God was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and there was going to be the Passover with the lamb being slaughtered and the lamb being sacrificed, that Jesus now was the Passover lamb. Maybe Jesus went into that great book of Isaiah and explained how Jesus himself would be despised and rejected and be a man of sorrow, a man of sufferings, but that by his wounds we would be healed. Or maybe Jesus went into the prophet's book of Hosea and talked about the prophecy of him rising in three days after he had died. So that throughout all the Old Testament, the Bible tells us here, that Jesus began to teach these disciples about the truth concerning him. And he is there with them so that he could be one that they could put their trust in. Jesus had done all this, and he stays with them. We look in verse 28. I want to read until verse 34. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and their, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Jesus is now staying with them. He's already explained the scriptures to them. And they're walking along the road and it's getting dark. And the two disciples are going to go into the city of Emmaus. And Jesus acts as if he's going to walk on and just keep on going down the road. Well, that was a very polite thing to do. Because he didn't want to assume their hospitality. And so it would be important for them to invite Jesus to stay. And in that culture, it would have been very impolite for them not to invite a fellow Jew to stay with them for the night. Especially as night was coming when it was dangerous. And so these two disciples extend hospitality to Jesus, and they invite him to come in, and they're having a meal together. This is a relationship. This is a time of joy. 
This is a time where we share with family together. This is a time, as you know, when you eat together, you always have a better time. And Jesus and his disciples had eaten together for so many times. They had broken bread together countless times. And so when they went in, these two disciples also offered bread to Jesus. And they offered it to him, and then he took it, and then suddenly he stood up and he blessed it as if he was the head of the household. And he blessed the bread. And it was in the blessing of the bread that they remembered that they had seen this before. They had seen Jesus countless other times when they had a meal. Stand up and break the bread and bless it before they ate it. And in seeing Jesus in this way of relationship, they were able to recognize their Lord. And the Bible says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized him. God opens three things here, as we see in the scriptures. In verse 31, he opens their eyes. In verse 32, he opens their hearts. And in verse 34, he opens their lips. When we encounter the living Lord, these are the same three things that are going to be opened in our lives as well. He will open our spiritual eyes so that we can see He will open our eyes so that we can trust in the truth. And in that, he will also open the depths of our being. He will open up our hearts so that we would know that this is what we're looking for. We would know that this is what we need. We would open up our hearts. Maybe they feel empty. Maybe they feel hurt. Maybe we're brokenhearted. And Jesus will come and bring healing to that brokenness. He opens up our eyes and he opens up our hearts so that we can receive him within ourselves. He wants us to know the truth. He's talking about himself and in him, all of the pieces of the Old Testament puzzle come together. And now this disciples, now they know the truth. Now they understand everything that Jesus had spoken about before. They had heard Jesus speak these words. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 5, and in John chapter 14, we read these words. Would you read them with me? Let's say it together. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God wants us to trust in the truth. To trust in the truth means to have a relationship with Jesus. To be a Christian is not just to go to church. It's not even just to believe in Jesus in my head. I have to have my eyes open to understand who he really is, and I have to have my heart open to welcome him in so that I have a relationship with Jesus, so that I can know the truth in my heart. And I can trust him to be there. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a wonderful book called Heaven, says this. The deepest longing of our heart is for one person and one place. Jesus is that person. And heaven is that place. I believe that God has placed that desire in every human being to know that they are loved. And to know that they are loved by their creator. And to know that they are loved by the creator who has a name. 
and to know that the name of this creator is Jesus. And not only that there was a creator who made the world and who made them, but who looked upon their life and saw the brokenness in it, who looked upon their life and saw the places where they had a need for hope, a need for truth, looked upon their lives to see that there was a place where they really, really needed to know that their life mattered. And he loved them. And he came to earth to show them that by becoming just like them and living a perfect life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice, so that he could give of his life, so that we could have hope. The Apostle Peter wrote these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Where is our greatest treasure kept? It's kept in heaven. And it's kept in heaven there for us. And it comes to us through this living hope that comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That this living hope, this hope of life comes to us on this Easter day for us to receive it and to receive it anew and to reestablish a relationship that God always wanted to have with us. And so as we come to this point of the message, it's a point of invitation from God to come nearer to him to be renewed in him, to be reestablished in him, or maybe even for the first time, to know him genuinely in a relationship in your life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Are you absolutely certain? God says we can be certain. Peter says it here, that we can be absolutely certain because of the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what we celebrate today. We celebrate a living Savior, not a dead Savior. We celebrate a living God, not a God who is far off. We celebrate a God who is with us today. And he invites all of us to respond to him. For some of us here, if we've never accepted Jesus, today is the day of salvation. A day that you can accept the Lord into your heart and receive his forgiveness and commit your life to him. Maybe you've been walking away from the Lord. And today, God has been speaking to your heart. And he says, I want you to come back to me and be fully committed to me. Maybe you do need to still know more about what it means to be a Christian. If you look into your bulletin, you'll see there's a response sheet there called Come to Jesus. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond on there. Um, you can write your name and then either your email or a text so if you have any questions, we can get in touch with you. And then we're going to pass a basket by, so you'll be able to fold it over and put it into that basket. But I want you to think about these questions that are there. And to respond appropriately, do you want to commit your life to Jesus today? Do you want to receive the gift of eternal life? Or do you want to recommit your life to Jesus today? to follow him ever more closely? Or do you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian? Would you like to join a community group, a small group, or a fellowship so that you could have friendships within this church? 
Would you like to know more about baptism and what it means to be baptized or what it means to be a member of this church? Or do you have a prayer request? God invites us to come to him at this time. He calls us into having a relationship with him, a transformation of our lives.